0: Go ahead and open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 4, Deuteronomy chapter 4, and I really did want to get through 14 verses, but we are only going to work through two this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. And as you're turning there, I know that many of you have questions about the current state of affairs in the Middle East, and you will see that as we look through these words in Deuteronomy, they have impact to Israel then, they have impact to us now, and they have impact on Israel today. We're going to see all of those things as we look at our text today, and as we continue to work through Deuteronomy for the next, I guess it's going to be 50 years, but we'll see. (laughs) If you were able, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant authoritative and sufficient word this morning, starting in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses verse 1. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So these words, these speeches, these sermons are given to the people of Israel As they stand on the other side of the Jordan, opposite to, but facing, the city of Jericho. If you've been tracking with us, you'll see that the the book of Deuteronomy kind of breaks down quite simply. Chapters 1 to 3 are a historical overview of what God has done in and for and to the nation. When they obeyed, there was blessing. He's, He's taken care of them. He's provided for them. But He's also revealed and displayed His holiness when they rebelled. And so Moses reminded them of all of those things that they had experienced over these last 38 years in the wilderness. Chapter 4 is a transitional statement or a transitional chapter. It's a call now, in light of everything they just heard in chapters 1 to 3, to take seriously God's call to carefully obey the law that he is about to retell them. And he'll give them a number of reasons why they should be careful to obey the law. And then chapters 5 all the way to 26 will be the retelling of the laws, the commands, the statutes, and the ordinances. And so as they stood in these lands that had formerly belonged to the imposing and fearsome kings of both Heshbon and Bashan, King Sihon and King Og, two kingdoms that the Lord had given into their hands, two lands that the Lord had transferred into their possession, two lands that were secured for them by the Lord who went ahead of them and fought for them, the Lord had proven to the nation over and over, time and time again by this point, that He is a mighty God. He is a powerful God. He is a living God, and he fought for those, that nation. He went before them. He defeated their enemies, the enemies that rose against them time and time again and threatened to attack them. God was always there to help them, to lead them, and to fight for them. Whether it was being liberated from Egypt, which at that time was the most powerful nation on the planet, as the Lord struck Egypt with plague after plague and strike after strike because Pharaoh refused to let the people go, after relentlessly pummeling and smiting Egypt with devastating afflictions, the Egyptians then drove the Israelites, the Hebrew slaves, out of their land. That was God's doing. Or if it's the giant and fearsome King Og leading his armies out to battle against Israel in the wilderness, the Lord is the one who went ahead and said, King Og, what is he? I give him into your hands, Israel. Go in and take everything from that man. The Lord had upheld and maintained that nation, providing for them and protecting them at every turn. The only time affliction fell on this nation of people is when they rebelled against the Lord and they rebelled or turned away from His commands. And so in this moment, this generation standing on this side of the Jordan, this is the next generation. The previous faithful, faithless generation has all died in the wilderness. And this generation seems to have learned their lesson because this time, unlike their fathers... They were going to obey the Lord. They understood the Lord has fought for us, is fighting for us, and is going to fight for us. And so we are going to cross over the, this river, over to that land, and we are going to take possession of it. We're going to take possession of the lands that had been promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. We are going to be the generation that receives and inherits the promise of God. And so as the nation stood on the banks of the Jordan with their swords at the ready and their eyes fixed on the lands that were about to be theirs, Moses delivers the message of Deuteronomy. Now, from a worldly perspective, one might assume that the most important information for Israel at this moment, just as they're about to go over into the land, to a people on the verge of war and conquest, a people on the edge of invading and seizing and settling the lands that are before them, one might expect Moses to cover some more pressing practical matters like organizing, how are we going to organize the men into battalions and troops? How are we going to, what are the tactics we're going to use? Let's walk through the military strategies that we have planned out. You'd think that maybe some of those practical matters might be what the nation standing on the verge of war would go through. But no, it's not blueprints for the upcoming armed conflict. Those are not on the menu at this time. But instead, it is something much more pressing, something much more important that is delivered to the nation by Moses. And what is it? A call to obey the Lord in the land after the Lord secures it for them and gives it to them. That's what Deuteronomy is. It is a call to obey the Lord in the land after the Lord secures it for them and gives it to them. After they take possession of Canaan, after they inherit the promises of the Lord that he made to their fathers, Moses in Deuteronomy is going to tell them how then you are to live in the land. Here are the statutes, and here are the rules, and here are the commands. Obey them when you live in the land. And when you do, O Israel, there will be two blessings that result from your obedience to my rules and my statutes. First, you will find yourself filled with peace And joy and abundance as a nation because the Lord will bless you and will refresh you with his glorious and wonderful presence. And second, if you live in obedience to my commands when you enter in and take possession of the land, you will be a light to the nations. Displaying to all around you the joys of living life in obedience to and in submission to the living God. Yes, I did say the joys. Obeying the will and obeying the commands of God is, counterintuitively, the most joyful way to live. If you would find joy in this life, which is something we're all seeking for, right? We are all looking for joy in this life. And we think we're going to find it by filling ourselves and by meeting our desires and doing what feels good in our flesh. But in fact, the scripture tells us the opposite is true. Our joy will come as we deny ourselves, we take up our cross, we follow Christ in obedience. Hear the words of Jesus and live by those words. This will be more fleshed out for us as we move through the book of Deuteronomy, but for now, as we come to chapter 4, again, we come to this transitional chapter. The history lesson of chapters 1 to 3 is over, and now before Moses retells the law in chapters 5 and 26, he prefaces the law by saying in verse 1, look at it, and now, O Israel... And now, O Israel, now, O Israel, in light of all that the Lord has done for you, all that he has done on your behalf to liberate you, to provide for you, to protect you through all these years in the wilderness. And also in light of his holy, the display of his holy perfection. In light of all the penalties you have seen for rebellion against him. Hear now, O Israel, as you enter into the land of Canaan. Know this, you have one duty. You have one responsibility. Reveal your love for and your faith in the Lord your God by obeying his commandments to you. As Moses puts it, look at verse 1, Listen to the statutes. See that? Listen to the statutes. As in, pay close attention to, hear them, hear them with an eagerness, hear them with a heart that is set on obeying what you hear. Statutes in this context are the authoritative rules, the prescriptions and the laws, the permanent regulations and commands that God will declare to the people. Statutes would be things like the Ten Commandments. Statutes would be the commandments of God to observe certain festivals and commemorations, to avoid sexual perversion and immorality. And as we work through Deuteronomy chapters 5 to 26, you will see that the laws that Moses delivers to the people make up the statutes. But along with the statutes, he also says the rules obey my statutes or listen to the statutes and The rules, these Israel must also hear and pay attention to. The rules actually refer to the decisions and the judgments that will be set down by authoritative figures in Israel regarding particular cases that might not be covered by the statutes or specific cases that might be too difficult for your average judge in Israel to figure out when searching the law for the answer. These would be brought to the Lord, and His judgments would then become rules or precedents for future cases of the same sort. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 8 to 11, we read this. If any case arises requiring decision between one kind of homicide and another, or one kind of legal right and another, or one kind of assault and another, any case within your towns that is too difficult for you, Then you shall arise and go up to the place that the Lord your God will choose, and you shall come to the Levitical priests and to the judge who is in office in those days, and you shall consult them, and they shall declare to you the decision. Then you shall do according to what they declare to you from the place the Lord will choose. That right there is the rule that is being spoken of. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they direct you according to the instructions that they give you and according to the decisions which they pronounce to you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside from the verdict that they declare to you either to the right hand or to the left. So these types of decisions, these types of precedents set down would fall under the banner of rules and they would become examples that would uh, be followed when that specific case arises in Israel again. And so Moses says to them, O Israel, listen, as in pay attention to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you. Pay attention. This will be fleshed out as well. As we work through the book of Deuteronomy, you'll see that pay attention means things like speak of them all the time. Speak of them with your children, speak of them with your friends, speak of them with your neighbors, consistently discuss them, never let them depart from your mind, never let them depart from your mouth, as in, keep talking about them. Take up the scrolls and read them. Bind these words as frontlets on your eyes and on your forearms, and put them on the lintels of your door so that they're always ever before you and in front of you, and pay attention to them saturate your life with the words and the commands and the will of God, and organize the entirety of your life around what the Lord commands. See, oftentimes, we tend to sprinkle a little Bible around our own lives, put the Bible in as an added thing that we have in our own lives, whereas the Old Testament and the New says, no, no, it's not you organize your life and then have some Bible, it's you pay attention to what God says and then you organize your life around it. Pay attention to the commands and the legal decisions that I'm imparting to you on this day. Pay attention to all that I'm instructing you to follow. Listen to them and look what he says next. And do them. And do them. Act on them. Make them the priority in your life. Make it the priority in your life to carry them out as commanded. And be sure to do so with the utmost diligence and the utmost care. And why? Why take so much care to hear, to pay attention to, and to obey the word of God as delivered to you, O Israel, and to you, O church, that you may live. Look at the next line. That you may live. Live. Now, you might see that word live and think that it speaks primarily to eternal slash spiritual lives. Now, that can be quite confusing, right? To the ear that is trained by new covenant language... To those who know and understand and appreciate the truth that is revealed to us by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, when he says to the Ephesian church, and he blessed us by writing it down, and says to us as well, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If that's you, if immediately you thought, do this and you will live by them, and then you thought, well, what about grace and all that? Good catch! Way to go. It is true that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And it is true that all of God's people have been, are, and will be saved in that very way, by grace through faith in Christ. In fact, the Apostle Paul will, in Romans 10.5 and Galatians 3.12, quote this, this text, Do them and you will live by them, to make that very point. Those who have tried to live by the law have always failed to successfully live by the law which reveals to all of us that Christ is the end of the law. Christ became a curse for us so that we who believe in his name can achieve what the law was powerless to bring us to, salvation by grace through faith in him. So then, what does Moses mean when he tells the Israelites on this this side of the Jordan About to enter into the promised land, do them as in obey the statutes and rules that you may live. In order to understand that, we have to understand the covenant that God made with Israel at this time. See, as the Lord was bringing them into the promised land, he made with them a covenant. A covenant is a contractual arrangement made by a greater power to a lesser power, where each side binds themselves to certain promises and obligations. And each party gives themselves to um, fulfilling their contractual obligations, and if they don't, there are curses that are meted out upon those who don't live up to their end, but if you do, there are blessings given to those who do their end. So Deuteronomy will make this very clear. God has set to them a covenant. He has set before them the law, and he has told them, if you obey this law, I will bless you. If you disobey this law, you will be cursed. That's the covenant. Deuteronomy 11 makes it abundantly clear. There we read this in verses 13 to 17. "'If you will indeed obey my commandments "'that I command you today, "'to love the Lord your God and to serve him "'with all your heart and with all your soul, "'he will give the rain for your land in its season, "'the early rain and the later rain.'" that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil, and he will give grass in your fields for your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. Take care, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Because then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens, so there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord your God has given you. Do you see it? If you obey, I will do all of these things. I will bless you in such amazing ways. If you disobey and you turn away and you start serving other gods, I will shut up the heavens and you will receive no blessing and I'll kick you off the land. Again, in a few verses later, in chapter 11, verses 26 and 27, we read this. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. And the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. So you see, the nation of Israel says the Lord will live under blessing if it obeys the Lord and serves him wholeheartedly. But if they turn aside or turn away, the Lord tells them, you will live under the curse. If you turn aside from my law and you go after other gods, you will live under the weight of my hand as it curses you. An exposition of the blessings and the curses is found in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And let me just say, the blessings and life that could belong to Israel should they repent and return to the Lord, should they obey the Lord, are most excellent and most glorious. While the curses that will befall a disobedient Israel ought to strike terror into the hearts of those who read them. I want you just to flip over to Deuteronomy 28 for one second because there is a... Verse in there that is absolutely stunning in terms of the curses. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 63, the Lord says, This is in response to their disobedience to the covenant. The Lord says to them, As the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you, and you shall be plucked off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Do you hear that word of cursing to disobedient Israel? Did you notice, however, as we were also, while we were reading, what life and blessings and curses entailed? Did you notice it's specifically about their life in or outside of the land? Did you notice that? Things like the abundance of or absence of rain and grain and wine and grass for livestock, fruit on the trees, continued living in the land or perishing off the land, all of these are or will come about as a result of their being blessed for obedience or cursed for disobedience. Absence of the Lord's peace among the Israelites is because the Lord's hand turns against them. And the Lord's hand will remain turned against them even as He upholds them until, until the day Israel repents and turns to Jesus Christ. So oftentimes, you will hear people say, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and we ought to be doing so every single day. But what does that mean? It means if you would like to see peace in Jerusalem, the only way for peace to reign in Jerusalem is for Israel to repent and turn to Jesus Christ. When they do that, the Apostle Paul will say in Romans 11, if the disobedience of Israel led to such blessing for the Gentiles and blessing for the nations. Can you imagine what their full inclusion will mean for the whole world in terms of blessing? It's not about armies and wars. If you want peace in that region, Israel must repent and return to Jesus Christ that will lead to blessing for the entirety of the world. According to the covenant, so you see, life in context of Deuteronomy means Israel's living in the land, obedient to the Lord, blessed with plenty, blessed with abundance, blessed with prosperity, blessed with safety, blessed with peace, blessed with long life in the land. And a blessing as they reflect the wonders of God to the world. According to the covenant, if Israel obeyed the statutes and the rules and the commands of the Lord while they lived in the land, the Lord would dispense immeasurable blessings upon them. But if they rebelled against his commands and went off in search of other gods to worship and to serve, then the Lord has said, I will send curses, the likes of which not even Egypt saw. So you see, Israel wasn't saved in the eternal life sense by doing the commands of God. Israel will be saved in the same way that you and I are saved, by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But their life of blessing and their abundance in the promised land would be preserved by their obedience to the commands of God. And for as long as this nation decides to disregard the Lord... In some of the news broadcasts I was seeing maybe a month ago, I don't know if anyone noticed, but they were showing a picture of a dance party. And right in the back of the dance party was a humongous statue of Buddha. No one talks about that part. And for as long as they disregard the Lord and put up statues of Buddha, they'll have no peace. Again, the answer to all the agitations in the Middle East is the same as it's been for the last 2,000 years. Repent and return to Jesus. Turn, in, turn to Christ in faith. And when they do, they will receive the kingdom that is promised to them by the Lord. And they will be a blessing to the world. And you can see this idea of blessing and life meaning abundance in the land as you look through the script Deuteronomy. Over and over again, we see this thought in Deuteronomy. A few examples include chapter 5, verse 33, where we read, You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God commanded you, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. That's a key phrase in Deuteronomy, in the land. In Deuteronomy 8, 1, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. Again, Deuteronomy 16, 20, justice and only justice you shall follow that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. And again, finally, in Deuteronomy 30, verses 16 to 20, listen to it. That you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob to give them. Did you hear it? Over and over again, obey the commands and the statutes and the rules that I have set down for you today, and the blessing will be that you will live long in the land with abundant prosperity and abundant peace and abundant provision and abundant protection. But turn away from the commandments that I give to you today and serve other gods, then you will quickly perish from the land. Obedience... Doing them and living means long life in the land. Disobedience means death, cursing, and removal from the land. And why? Why this relentless repetition of this call to obedience? Because you will, as we move through the book of Deuteronomy, you'll hear it over and over and over again. Be careful to do the word, the, the law of God. Be attentive. Be watchful. Do it. Keep it. It's because... Throughout Scripture, the central way by which a person reveals their love for the Lord is their denial of self and obedience to His revealed will and word. Do you hear that? The central way by which a person reveals their love and their faith in the Lord is by their denial of self and their obedience to His revealed will and word. The way one confesses and communicates their love for the Lord is not by simply saying it. We serve Him by obeying His commandments. And in obeying His commandments, that reveals that our hearts truly love and desire Him. The Lord Jesus Christ said the same thing three times in John 14. In just a short smattering of verses, you will see it. John 14, 15, he looks at his disciples and he tells them, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then just a few verses later in fourteen twenty one, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And then just a couple of verses later, John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Now, I've made it clear over the years that if something is repeated three times in a short span, that means the author or whatever, whoever is speaking wants you to know that this is something to take very seriously. It is a message of supreme importance. And the same is true in Deuteronomy. Over and over again, the Israelites were told to love the Lord their God and to display that love by their dedication to obedience. In Deuteronomy 4, 1 to 14, which I hoped we would get through today, we see the repetition no less than five times, or Deuteronomy 4, I mean. Look at verse 1, do them. Verse 2, keep the commandments. Verse 5, do them. Verse 6, keep them and do them. Verse 14, do them. Five times in those verses. The one who truly loves the Lord will endeavor with great care and concern to follow the commands of the Lord. Of the Lord. It was true for Israel in the wilderness. It was true for Israel in the promised land. And the same is true for any and all of us who profess to love and serve Jesus Christ. So, how does one know whether they truly love Jesus or whether we love ourselves? By their obedience to his word over our own wills, by our denial of self. And taking up our cross and following him by striving to put to death what is earthly in us and laboring to fill that space with obedience to the words of Jesus. You see, if Israel would observe, do, and keep the law of God when in the land, they would be blessed with abundant physical life, prosperous and peaceful. And if we love Jesus Christ and we seek a joyful, abundant life, then following the will and the commands of Jesus is the pathway to that life. It's important to know this for a couple of reasons. First, this is kind of an aside. First, it's important to know the context of life in reference to Israel and Deuteronomy because it's easy for us to get confused by all those Sneaky, cagey, slimy, prosperity preachers. Creatures would have been just as good of a word. Who cherry pick from these texts about the Lord blessing Israel with abundance in the land if they obey his commands. And then take them and shift them a little bit and try to apply them to us. Saying things like, if you just obey the Lord's call to give us some money, then the Lord will, you will reap an abundant harvest. And I can't tell you how often I hear that and it grates on me all the time. To take texts that apply to Israel in the land and try to apply them to the little old lady who has $20 tucked away in a cookie jar for her medication and some guy on the TV says, if you just give us that $20 in your cookie jar, the Lord will bless you with an abundance because look at what he says in Deuteronomy. And you're like, no, no. That's not what these texts teach, and they cannot be applied in such a manner. So I appeal to all of you if you listen to those guys, please stop. Do not listen to those who so blatantly misunderstand and misapply texts in that way. That's first. It's also important to know the place of obedience in the life of a believer, in the life of one who loves the Lord. Now, there's some, maybe even in here, who are hearing this consistent and persistent call obey, obey, do. And you're probably thinking, well, that sounds like legalism. But let me make it clear good works, following the commands, doing the rules and the statutes of our Lord Jesus Christ. They do not win. They do not secure the love and the favor of God. They do not guarantee the affection of God. They do not lead to our salvation. We are indeed truly saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is the instrument by which we lay hold of the grace of God and the forgiveness of sins. And all of this to the great glory of the Lord. Obedience and works have no place in saving us. Obedience and fruit are, instead, the natural byproduct of a truly saved and renewed heart. Does that make sense? They don't save you, but when you are saved, if your heart is truly renewed, guess what? You're going to want to be like Jesus. In the same way that when you refine oil, it necessarily produces gasoline as a byproduct, so the person who is saved by the Lord, being refined by the Spirit, will grow in a consuming desire to obey and to live for the glory of God out of love for Him. The Spirit in us will bring about a craving, an aspiration in us to live in obedience to the Lord in every single area of our lives. Now, will we fail? Yes. You all know it. I know it. I fail. You fail. This is going to be a war in us for all the days of our life on earth. We will be waging war against our flesh and waging war against sin and waging war against the enemy and waging war against the world as they all conspire against us and fight against our commitment to holiness of life. But that doesn't stop the one who loves Jesus from making it their goal to grow up into the image and likeness of Christ to hear his word, to read his word, to saturate yourself with his word and seek and strive with all of your heart to obey it, to pattern our lives after Jesus, after Christ's, to hear and to obey his commands. We want to be holy as he is holy. And listen, when you fail to measure up, when I fail to measure up, here's the good news. Because it's going to be frequent and it's going to be Often. The good news of the New Testament is that you can run to Him in repentance knowing that He is faithful and just to forgive. And He dusts you off and He sets you back on the road to loving obedience to Him, the one who gave up His life to save ours. We want more than anything to live for Him. We want more than anything to obey Him. When we fail to do so, we hate it. I hate when I fail to live up to what Jesus Christ commands for me. It drives me batty when I can't live up to it. And all the time, you know, you go to bed on the Saturday or the Friday night and you think, Lord, I did it again, I failed again, you know what's in my heart, I didn't want to do that, I didn't want to think that, I didn't want to say that, I'm not going to do it again tomorrow, I want to be like Jesus tomorrow, and then 10 o'clock in the morning comes and you've done it again. And in those moments, know that Jesus Christ has already taken that sin from you. Dealt with that sin on your behalf, bore it at the cross. And your desire in that moment is, I don't want to do it again. I hate the fact that I did that. And if you have that that spirit in you, like, I hate that I sinned, that's a good sign. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you and drawing you back to the Word. And that's an amazing thing. You're not going to be perfect. But that's, that's the great reason why Jesus Christ had to be perfect, so he could give you his perfection. And when God looks at you, he'll see the perfect righteousness of Christ. So in that sense, I want you to know, obedience is not a dirty word. And calling those who profess faith in Christ to obedience is not legalism. Legalism is believing that your goodness wins you the approval and the love and the affection of God. Legalism is believing that because you obey a little bit better than the person around you, that you're better than they are. Be careful of those temptations. But know that the clear and clarion call from Scripture from your fellow believers, from elders, from pastors, from preachers, the clear and clarion calls to display your love for God by obeying Him, by obeying His Word, to prove your faith by doing what He commands is not legalism. It's a simple reciting of what the Scripture commands from each and every one of us. This is what James meant when he wrote about this very subject, saying, I will show you my faith. How? by my works. James 2.18. And you can see this in a couple of interactions our Lord Jesus had with rich men in the Gospels. First, there's a rich man who runs up to Jesus in Mark chapter 10, desperate to know, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus listed a number of the commandments. You know, do not murder, do not commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud. Make sure you honor your father and your mother. And the man looked at Jesus and said, I've done all of these since childhood. And then we hear in Mark Mark ten twenty one, Jesus looking at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And Come follow me. If you would like the life that the law offers, then follow the law. The rich young ruler, though, he's followed the law, but he doesn't have a heart that is truly given over to the Lord. He is a legalist extraordinaire, trying to win the affection of God by doing the law. But there's still this nagging feeling in his soul that something is missing. There's something deeper, something greater, and Jesus tells him what it is. What you really need to do, young man, is follow me and store up for yourself treasures in heaven. The treasures on earth, they haven't been doing it for you, have they? Here is what will. Follow me. And then prove that you are following me by giving up all of the earthly distractions that are holding you back from following me with a full heart. Give it up. Follow me because I'm the one who will bring you to a deeper level of life. Not just a life of earthly joy or obedience, but a life of eternal blessing in the kingdom of God. If you'd really display the love for your love for the Lord, get rid of all those gods that are competing for allegiance in your heart. Young man, in your case, it's all of your riches. If you would inherit life, sell it all, follow me with a full and undivided heart. What was the man's response? Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. See, the man could say, right? He could say, yeah, I'm a devoted follower of the Lord. I'm doing all the laws. But when push came to shove, when it came time to prove it, the man chose to keep his possessions and abandon the Lord. You can say what you believe, but what you say is proven by what you do. Now contrast this with another man named Zacchaeus. Luke will use these two stories as a contrast. Zacchaeus is a Jewish man of small physical stature, hated by his countrymen because he collected taxes for the Romans from the Jews. He heard Jesus approaching. He wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to hear Jesus. But because he was so short, he couldn't see over everybody, so he climbs up a tree. He wanted to hear the words of this man who speaks such gracious and compassionate words to sinners like Zacchaeus. And Jesus walking by sees Zacchaeus up in that tree and he says, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down. I'm going to stay at your house today. And so Zacchaeus quickly scrambles down the tree and he received Jesus into his home joyfully. All of the religious folks and the legalist folks, they mumbled and they grumbled on the outside of the house because Jesus was spending time with a sinner like Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus, after spending that time with Jesus, hearing the words of Jesus, He obviously put his faith in Christ, and he revealed that faith in Christ by his actions, and even Jesus affirmed it. Zacchaeus stood up at some point in this time together, and he said in Luke 19, 8, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give it to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold, meaning Zacchaeus made himself a poor man for Christ. He gave up all he'd accumulated as a tax collector for Christ. He proved by his deeds what filled his heart, and it wasn't money. It was full, total love for the Lord. And Jesus, in response, said this to him, Today salvation has come to this house. The rich man remained physically rich, but destitute and impoverished of soul. Zacchaeus became physically impoverished, but spiritually rich. Which one? One might say they have faith, but if that faith doesn't express itself by striving to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love being defined as commitment to obeying His Word, and rooting out from our hearts all things that compete with the Lord for our affection, James asks, can such a faith save you? He said, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he have faith, has faith but doesn't have works? Can that faith save him? And James's answer is no. I mean, you know it. The amount of times you can go to someone and say, well, what religion are you? And they'll say Christian when they have absolutely no idea what that even means. Are they saved because by their lips they say, I'm a Christian? No. Faith is revealed by our effort to obey the Lord. Why? Because he's our primary love we fear him we want to serve him we want to honor him we want to glorify him we want every single aspect of our lives to be light that lead people to say he is amazing the best explanation i've heard to sum up this point is this we are saved we are justified we are declared righteous and innocent in the sight of god by grace through faith alone but the faith that saves the faith that truly saves is never alone It will always issue in a heart that strives to live for Christ. So, let me ask you, when your will crosses the Lord's command, which one do you listen to? If the Lord says, you must forgive your brother, do you simply say, that's what I want to do, Jesus. I want to forgive my brother. Or do you let your flesh justify your disobedience? If the Lord says, fornication is a terrible sin... Do you avoid it and crucify the passions of your flesh? Or do you seek to justify your practice? Oh, do we really need that piece of paper to prove that we're married? Isn't our love enough? Isn't that what God would want? Wouldn't God want me to be happy? No. If the Lord commands us to refrain from lying and stealing, do we simply avoid it or do we try to justify it somehow? Who wins when the battle comes? Your flesh or the Word of God, and if your flesh sometimes wins, do you care? Does it bother you? Do you hate it? If you are a little more in love with yourself, and yet at the same time would like to add a little religion to your life, what you will inevitably do is try to edit or to change, or to add, or subtract from the word of God and the command of God in order to bring it into alignment with your own desires. That is a grave temptation that each and every one of us will face, but the Lord does not allow that. The Lord does not change his word to suit you and I. The call of God in his word is what we are to submit to no matter what it says, no matter what it commands, no matter what it prescribes. The word of God is always right. It is always our authority. It is always perfect. It stands over us and we are to submit to it, to hear it, to pay attention to it, and to do everything it commands. Without adding to it or subtracting to it or trying to, as Romans 1 says, suppress it. And the Lord, knowing that the human response to his commands will be to edit and alter and add and subtract from what we like and, or what we don't like, ensures that he takes away from us any permission to do that in verse 2. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, That you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. So, Israel, and you, Christian, there are no alterations of his word permitted. All the people of God from that day to this are commanded to labor to understand God's word, to apply that word, to obey that word in the way that those words were intended by the Lord. We are called to preserve the integrity of the Word. And this, again, is a warning that is repeated throughout the entirety of the Scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 32. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. Joshua, as he was about to lead the nation into the Promised Land, said this, Be strong and courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, as in, you shall never stop talking about it. But you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Agur. In the Proverbs, Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6 wrote, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his word, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. So Agur says, anyone who would add to the word of God by being a legalist and adding rules that aren't there, you are a liar. And again, at the end of the book of Revelation, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city. Do you see the gravity of adding to or subtracting from the word of God? To subtract or to add, John invokes the plagues described in Revelation upon the person who adds. To the one who subtracts God, John invokes God to revoke life in the eternal city. That should cause us to stop and think, whatever God's word says, I'm going to strive to do it. So in closing... The call of God to his people has always been, listen to my statutes and my rules and do them. It's the repeated refrain of scripture that those who love the Lord listen to his word and strive to do his word. Doing the commands of God doesn't save you. Doing them and desiring to do them as the Lord intends is the natural byproduct of a soul that truly loves the Lord. So church... Take up the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Let it never depart from your mouth. Tell it to your children. Speak of it with your spouse. Put it on the doorposts of your home. If you get those little, uh, thing, those little Bible verses that you put on your wall, you know those little cutesy ones? Perfect. Do it. In fact, put one on every wall in your home. But not just like the nice ones. Get, the, get some of the judgy ones too, right? <laughs> to be reminded. Take up the word of God and read. Listen to the statutes given to us by our Lord Jesus Christ and do them. And know this, he is the one who came not to steal, to kill, and to destroy. When Jesus commands you to do something, it's not to rob you of your joy. It is to promote your joy. As Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Father, we praise you and we thank you for this time that we have had together to look at the call that you gave to Israel in Deuteronomy 4 and to apply those words to our situation as well. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand the distinction between being saved by grace through faith and not being saved by our works, I pray that you would help us to understand that. Works are the byproduct of a true and saving faith. They don't save us. They are the byproduct. And so for all who have truly turned to the Lord Jesus Christ and who have a spirit or a soul that is filled with a desire to serve you, I pray that you would give us an added measure of strength and diligence and attention to serve you well for the glory of your name. And we ask that the spirit in us would give us the ability to fight the battle every minute of every day, to honor Christ. We pray this in his wonderful name. Amen. (laughs)